And as you find your seat, I encourage you to find your copy of God's Word. And let's take our Bibles together and turn, please, to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number 4 tonight. As we come to the Word of God, our prayer is that God would help us uh, grow in our Christ's likeness. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is real? I'm glad that the Lord is exactly who He says He is. I'm thankful that God is the answer. I'm thankful for all that Christ has done in my life. I'm thankful for all that Christ has done in this church. And certainly He is all in all. And He ought to have preeminence in our lives. Amen? And we come to the book of Colossians and truly... In verse chapter, I'm sorry, verse 18 in chapter 1, we find one of the most significant verses in all the Bible, not to diminish uh, the, the truth of the gospel or other things, but in the practical sense of the Christian life, we understand Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 uh, vital uh, for our Christian lives. The Bible says that in all things he might have the preeminence. Remember, Jesus Christ died in your place, paid for your sin. In chapter number 2, the Bible describes the work of God uh, as Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says um, in verse uh, number 12, it says, Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What an amazing work of God. And the victory we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, in Jesus Christ, he's not merely a man. Uh, he's not someone who simply died for a noble cause. Uh, he is the God-man. In chapter number one, the Bible describes the Lord uh, as our as our Creator. Uh, hold he and by him all things consist, and uh, he's the head of the body, uh, the church. And having made peace the blood of his cross. We look down and we look in verse 27 of chapter 1. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the significance of Christ? Why is He our hope of glory? Well, because who He is. The Bible says in verse number 9, In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything God is, Jesus is. He is the physical manifestation of God in this world. The Bible says in in John chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 of the same chapter, the Bible says, We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we consider who Christ is, and because Jesus is God, He can make a difference in your life. Christian, I cannot make a difference in your life. I wish I could. But I can't. The only one in this world who can truly change you and help you be a better person is Christ. And that only begins at the moment of salvation. We look here tonight and in chapter number 3 we find uh, the, the transition or perhaps the culmination of this book. Everything that Jesus is, all He is, what He's done for you, what you have accepted and trusted and relied upon for your salvation, makes a difference in your life. Do you realize that there's a right way for the Christian to live and there's a wrong way for the Christian to live? I heard a, I, you may have heard people say, if you want to know how a Christian ought to live, ask the world. Well, I think we can do one better than that. If you want to know how a Christian ought to live, why don't you ask the Lord about it and consult the Word of God? You know, so oftentimes, as as Christian people, we fail by making the uh, the world our standard uh, or going to them for our authority and and for the answers and the solutions that we face in life. But Christian, the world has never helped you. It's never helped me. As a matter of fact, we battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's only through Christ that you and I can live victoriously for the Lord. 
And as we come here in Colossians chapter 3, in verse number 1, we find the practical application of Christ in your life. What does it mean? In verse number 1, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ. If you're here tonight, without, without the show of hands, have you truly accepted Jesus as your Savior? If you have, you are risen with Him. It goes back to, uh, to chapter number uh, 2 and verse 1. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God. And you hath He quickened, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in time past, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God, who is quit, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherein He loved us, hath quickened us together with Him, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Consider the work of God in your life. And if ye then be risen with Christ, the Bible says that we ought to live a certain way. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we read here this portion of God's Word. We'll read as we have been in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. And then we'll skip down to chapter 4 in verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, look over in, Ephesians, or I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter 4 in verses 5 and 6, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. And Lord, our prayer this evening is that you would help us. Lord, help us be dependent upon you. This, as the song we just said, God of power, in this hour, speak to us, we pray. Lord, we pray that you would, in fact, open our eyes, that we may behold marvelous things, wondrous things from your law. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us leave here changed. Help us leave not conformed to this world, but transformed uh, in the image of Christ. So, Father, we pray for your leadership tonight. Speak to us, we ask. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are many things that we ought to do as Christian people. The Bible describes them for us in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. We are commanded to seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. In verse 2 of the same chapter, we're told to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. We're told to, to mortify our members which are upon the earth in verse number 5. We're to put off the old man and put on the new because Christ is all and in all. And the Lord addresses our lives as Christian people. How we are to let the peace of God rule in our hearts and, and how we're to uh, let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom. And what happens when we're risen with Christ, when we do the things that God instructs us to do, because these are conscious acts that we make each and every day. I, you know, every day, Paul, Paul said every day he had to die. He said, I die daily. This is a, a forever act so long as we're on this earth. So long as there's air in my lungs, I, I must die to myself. I must consciously seek the things of God. I must consciously learn to live in the presence of Jesus Christ. I must always, always, always seek to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in me richly. How do I do that? Well, I have to read it. These are decisions that we make. These are steps we take as God's people to live a life of obedience if ye then be risen with Christ. But it affects our families. Of course, the Bible addresses wives and husbands and children and fathers. But outside the home, 
We're to live differently even in the workplace. The Lord addresses servants and masters. And then practically as, as God's children, we are commanded to continue in prayer. But here in verses 5 and 6 of Colossians 4, I want you to take out a pen and mark this statement here. The opening three words of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. The Bible says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. What does this mean? This walk in wisdom. Well, it describes the way we're to live our lives. You realize, there's, again, there's a right way that we're to live. There's a wrong way that we are not to live. But the child of God is to live a life of wisdom. Wisdom is the manifestation of truth in one's life. The ability to discern situations and circumstances. The ability to analyze problems and act or respond in a way that pleases God. That is wisdom. These actions stem from our understanding and application of biblical truth. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. Do you need wisdom for every situation in life? I sure know I do. Uh, I need wisdom every day. We ought to seek God for wisdom. We ought to seek God's direction and help. We ought to seek God's truth as we endeavor to live a life that honors and glorifies the Lord. Do you realize you cannot be a spiritual person without being a scriptural person? Our spirituality depends upon the Word of God. And, and if, we, if we are uh, scripturally starved, guess what we're going to be? We're going to be carnal. To be carnally minded is death. And Christian, I don't want my Christian life to, to, be, to be carnal, to be worldly, to be enamored and driven by the things and cares of this world. I want my life to be governed by the book. This is the bounds that, that God has placed upon our lives. Well, yesterday evening we were reading in the book of Proverbs in chapter 22, and that we're instructed not to remove the landmarks that our fathers have set. What are the landmarks? What's the significance of the landmark? We asked our kids that question. And we say, well, there, it's a border. You're right. A landmark is a border. You know, more specifically, we could call it a boundary. Realize that God has set boundaries for you and me. What are the boundaries that He has placed? So oftentimes we think, well, boundaries are bad. We, want, we live in a world of freedom, right? Freedom of expression. Freedom for everything. Until you're sick and they tell you to stay home for 14 days, right? And wear a mask and all this. You know, it's counterintuitive, right? But we, we think of boundaries. It's important to have boundaries in our lives, don't you think? I believe so with all my heart. You know, we tell our children, we place boundaries upon their lives, like don't play in the street. Well, I believe my kids can, can uh, exercise their, their, their will and make decisions. Whatever. I don't really know of one teenage boy that has ever made, myself included, that has made wise decisions 100% of the time. You know? I remember, as a, as a, I remember my first cell phone that I purchased. I bought it with my own money. I had to talk my dad into letting me buy it. It was one of those old Nextel phones. You know, it was, they were like the brick. I mean, it was, it, was, it was probably about that size. The thing was thick. You know, it was about the girth of it was probably that big around. It was rubber-coated. It was construction grade, which I'm thankful for because I remember we went over to a friend's house. We had a bonfire one night, and, and it, was, it was springtime, and their family had a Christmas tree, a live Christmas tree that year, a, a real Christmas tree. And after Christmas was over, they dragged it outside and left it there, and it had dried out. And we thought, you know what? Let's grab the Christmas tree. Let's burn that thing, you know? So we dragged that Christmas tree over to the fire pit, laid it on the flames, and the flames were massive. And then one teenage boy says to another teenage boy, let's jump over that fire. 
And one teenage boy said, Dad, that's a great idea. And we proceeded to jump over this fire. My children, if I ever catch you doing this, you better hope I don't catch you. But I remember it was my, that, that phone, it was in a belt clip, you know, because that was cool. And I remember jumping over that fire and I felt something give way. It was that new phone I had just purchased and it fell down into the fire. And it wasn't on the outside edge of the fire. I mean, it was in the heart of the flames. I thought, my dad's going to kill me. (laughs) I had to talk him into letting me buy this. you know. And I did not buy the insurance, which I'm not sure insurance covers stupidity. But uh, yes, is there an adolescent rider on that insurance policy? You know. But I remember thinking, what am I going to do? And I reached into that fire, grabbed that phone out of there. It was so hot, it it was melting. And I pulled it out. I had my handprints were were stamped into the into the casing of that phone. It was personalized at that from that moment on. And much, to much of my surprise, it still functioned. It still worked. Boundaries, kids. You know, parents, we place boundaries on our children's lives because they're prone to do. St- stupid things you know as as god's children we too are prone to do stupid things aren't we we battle sin we battle ourselves we battle the flesh the bible says we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places and there's the lure that the world puts before us that would cause us to be led astray. But the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned our own way. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Christians, we, why has God given us the boundaries of his word? For our safety and for joy and true happiness, for real satisfaction, for true contentment. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Christian, we understand that God has has given us these boundaries because He wants us to live a life that truly is happy, that is joyful. And children who live outside the boundaries their parents have placed upon them are never happy. They're never happy. That's why babies throw temper tantrums. Because they're attempting to live outside the bounds that their parents have placed upon them. I've seen some teenagers throw temper tantrums too, right? I was a youth pastor for a few years. It's it's fun, you know. But we see all of these things take place. Why? Because we are rebelling against the boundaries that God has set for our lives. And there's no happiness outside the bounds of God's Word. Do you want true liberty? Do you want true happiness? Well, live according to the Word of God as God's children. You know, we don't live, we're not doing this. We're not seeking to, to live this way in order to earn salvation. But we live this way because we're risen with Christ. We have a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And God is allowing us to live a life that truly is satisfying. But as we get back here to the text tonight, and in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, God commands us to walk in wisdom. He says, if this is the byproduct of Christ in your life, you're going to walk a life, live a life of wisdom. I pray so, you know. But there's some practical areas tonight that God reveals here in these two verses of Scripture that will help us live a life of wisdom, help us walk in wisdom. Notice the first. To write this down, we are to maintain a strong testimony. How are we to walk in wisdom? The Bible says walk in wisdom toward them that are without. 
You realize your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. There is, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And as, as, as Christian people, we ought to seek to maintain a strong testimony. Do you realize that, that your testimony is the testimony of Jesus Christ? No pressure. How you live your life is a direct reflection of Jesus Christ in your life. So if we live a life of illicit behavior, if we live a life of of immorality, if we live a life of excess and immoderation, if we live a life that, that, uh, that is worldly to the core, That's the testimony of Christ in your life. I know. And that's not the right kind of testimony that Jesus ought to have. You see, you and I are called in the Scriptures living epistles. <laughs> you know, as, as people look at our lives, and I'm not a big proponent of what some would call lifestyle evangelism. Actually, I reject lifestyle evangelism. I'm just going to go, I'm going to go to the bar with my friends and I won't drink, but I'm going to be a good testimony there. Well, good luck, right? I was talking to our, our young men here tonight, Brother, Brother John and Brother Nate, just this afternoon, even on the way in the church, I made the statement that you will fail in your fellowship long before you fail in your doctrine. But they're connected. Evil communication, corrupt good manners. You know what's going to happen? Those people are going to rub off on you. You are not going to rub off on those people. As a matter of fact, I, I like to work with my hands. I like to build things and fix things. It's kind of a nice stress reliever, a nice outlet there, you know. And, and you know, interestingly enough, after I get done working on on my cars or changing the oil my hands are all greasy and grimy and gross and you know what i go after i look for something that's clean a clean towel a clean rag because i want to clean off my hands and the dirt is always transferred to that which is clean never vice versa you, know, you, you go and you expect, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good influence. Well, your good isn't going to rub off on them. Their, their, their wickedness, their sin is going to rub off on you. So we, we've got to be careful here with our testimony. The Bible says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Christian, we ought to have a great, strong testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn one book ahead to the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, again, in the light of, in light of Jesus uh, appearing, we ought to live a life that, that pleases the Lord. And the Apostle Paul, he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, he says, Furthermore, in verse 1, Then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that uh, as ye have re- received of us, how ye ought to walk and to notice, please God, so you would abound more and more. I want to please the Lord with my life. Do you want to please God with your life? And that's our desire. My desire isn't so much to make you happy as it is to make my Lord happy. You, You could take exception to something I say, but my desire is to please God. You may not agree with everything I do, everything I say, the positions I hold, the convictions I have, but Christian, I don't really care. Because my desire is to please God. Not just a little bit, but more and more. And the Bible goes on to say, says, For ye know what uh, commandments we, have, uh, we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Would you mark that statement there? And the next several things that, that Paul lists in this, in this chapter are stem from this statement this will of god whenever i i read the 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 expression will of god in my bible it piques my interest (laughs) does it does it pique yours Uh, do you want to know what god's will is for your life i know people uh, search for years and years and years trying to uncover the will of god for their lives well it's right here (laughs) you know Uh, this is the will of god 
even your sanctification or your Christ-likeness, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. It's important to understand that, that you and I, there's no ex- escaping a holy calling that God has placed upon our lives. It says, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth what? The call of God and the will of God for their lives. Uh, does, um, that he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man. You're not rejecting man, you've rejected God. It says, uh, but God who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Look, the Bible says in verse 11, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we command you. And here in verse 12, we read an int- another familiar statement. That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. And we've walking in wisdom and walking honestly are directly connected one to another. That ye may have lack of nothing. Christian, did we see the testimony here? There's a way we ought to live. We ought to not be involved in the things of this world. The Bible says, flee fornication. You know, there's so many... You may not go out and have an immoral relationship with someone, but you can on the internet by the things you see. The Bible says you look on a woman to lust after, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. We're going to flee fornication. We ought to abstain from worldly lusts which war against the soul. We ought to have a strong testimony one to another. Brotherly love, brotherly kindness. We ought to prefer one another. We ought to mind our own business, the Bible says. Don't be a busybody. Work hard. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather, let him labor. Working with his hands a thing which is good. Christian, we ought to live a life that is above reproach. We consider the, the calling of God uh, on one's life. For instance, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we find the, the qualifications of both the pastor and the deacon. And you know what one of the, one of the requirements is? Being blameless. <laughs> you know what that means? It means they've got a strong testimony for the Lord. You know what these lists are? It's interesting. What God expects from all of His people, He demands from His preachers. Do you realize that? Well, I'm not a pastor, so I can swindle you out of, out of a few bucks, right? I'm not a deacon, well, I, that means I can live a lustful lifestyle, right? No. Remember, God's called you to holiness. We've got to have a testimony that honors and pleases the Lord. Christian, write that statement down. What God uh, expects from His children, He demands from His pastors and deacons. It's important to recognize. These aren't just qualifications, and, and they are qualifications for the pastor and for the deacon, but they're truly the expectation of God in all of our lives. This is what God's will is for your life. Christian, how's your testimony? Is it a strong testimony? Toward them that are without. Who are them that are without? It's those who are not part of this church. Who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that my life does not turn people off to the Gospel. The Bible says in the book of Titus that you and I are to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And that word adorn means to dress it up. It's like a garnish on the side of of, of a plate. You know, have you ever gone to an expensive restaurant 
And, uh, you know, the food is excellent, right? You might go to Longhorn Steakhouse and they bring you out that, that perfectly grilled piece of meat, you know? Not too much pink, but just right. And it's seasoned really well. Man, I'm drooling just thinking about it. Yeah. And they've got the mashed potatoes there. All the sides, they're, they're cooked just right. And then they've got this green thing on the side of the plate. Am I supposed to eat that? I mean, what is it? It's a garnish. It's an ornament. To take what is already pristine and make it look even nicer. Christian, you can't get better than Jesus. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus is the ultimate blessing in one's life. But we sure can wreck that testimony if we fail to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Look back in Colossians chapter 4. We see the second lesson here. In verse 5, the Bible says, redeeming the time. You and I, we are to maintain a strong testimony, but at the same time, we're to redeem the time. There are 1,440 minutes in a day. It's a lot of minutes, if you think about it. But what do you do with those minutes? Realize once time is gone, you can never get it back. You can never go and get a refund on time. Once it's gone, it's gone. But every minute we live, we are accountable to God for. Every minute, every idle moment, every idle word, you and I, we are accountable to God for how we live and what we do with the blessing we call life. What do we do with the time that we, that we spend? Look back in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. In verse number 15, the Bible says, See then that ye walk circumspectly. That's an interesting word, isn't it? It's a word that you probably don't use in your daily conversation, but it's a vital word as we consider this truth of redeeming the time. What does the word circumspect mean? Well, the word circumspect means with exactness, with uh, perfection, and with maturity. Some Christian discernment here, right? I want to live my life not foolishly or carelessly or even casually. I want to live my life on purpose. Do you live your life on purpose? Or do you take a haphazard approach to life? I like to think that my life is lived for a reason. And I hope and pray that the reason for which I live is not for me, but for my Savior who loved me and gave Himself for me. I want to redeem the time. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools. Notice, but as wise. Remember, we are to walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And notice verse 17, the Bible says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. There's that statement again, the will of God is understand what the will of the Lord is. What is God's will? It's God's will for you and to me and me to live our lives on purpose. On purpose. I mean, why do you do the things you do? Have you ever given thought to your life? Have you ever given thought to how you live your life? Have you ever considered why? Sometimes I think, why? <laughs> like, why did this happen? No. You know, those kinds of questions, that, that kind of question concerning why, 
Why did this happen to me? That's the question that all men ask that no man knows the answer to. You'll never know why in this life. But why do you do the things you do? That's a question that you can't answer. Why are you living your life? Why are you redeeming the time? Why are you taking full advantage of the time God has given you? The old adage, there's only one, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Look, at, look back in the New Testament, in the book of Luke. Luke chapter number 16. Luke chapter 16. And we're reminded of our stewardship. Stewardship of life. What is stewardship? Stewardship, someone's define stewardship gave a great definition that stewardship is our response to god if you then be risen with christ right redeem the time what's your response to god what's your stewardship in verse number one of luke chapter 16 the bible says and he said also unto unto his disciples there was a certain rich man which had a steward and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. How many of you waste time? There have been days of my life where I thought, well, that's a waste of time. You know? How many of you have ever just toiled and labored and, and at the end of the day, it's like, man, I didn't get anything done that I needed to get done. What was I doing? What an abysmal waste of time. Not that you were sitting idly by, but sometimes we do. You know what's a great waster of time? I was in Great Clips yesterday because I needed a haircut. <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, but I was in Great Clips <laughs> because my two oldest boys needed, needed a haircut. And as I sat in the, in the waiting room of this Great Clips, I was watching the adults in the room. And you know what? Every adult was messing around on this thing. Their kids were sitting there. But they were too busy wasting time looking at things that made no difference. They were they were looking at someone's made-up life on Facebook. It's a waste of time. So, well, pastor, I use that stuff for God's glory. I bet you do. We're to redeem the time. Once time's gone, it's gone. It's never coming back. It's never, it's like, well, I'll catch it on the next go around. Oh, no, you won't. I don't want to waste my goods. God has called us to stewardship. May God help us redeem the time. Let us. Invest our lives in things that truly matter. The Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what? I have never said that after reading my Bible that man, that was a waste of time. After prayer, I've never said I wished I hadn't prayed. After attending church, even in long services where the preacher went on and on and on and on and on. And you say, fine, pastor, we got the point. Let us go home. I've never said, well, that was a waste of time. I wish I hadn't gone. But you know what I have said? I wish I hadn't watched so much television. Man, I wish I would have just got away from the computer. What a waste of time. After handing someone a gospel track, I'll say, well, man, that was just a wasted effort. Never said that. Even going door-to-door soul winning and being rejected at the door by someone, not wanting to take the literature. Yesterday, we were out knocking doors. This man, he was out working. Just never even, never said a word to me. It ticked me off. Just say no thank you for crying out loud, but he's like, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> Thinking, 
am I, am I, are you too good to acknowledge my presence, oh wise one? You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like unbelievable. But you know what? That wasn't a waste of time. It wasn't a wasted effort. You know, living a life for God is never a waste. I heard a preacher say, you know, sometimes you say, well, I can I'd read God's Word, but man, I just don't understand a thing. I don't get anything out of it. And the preacher wisely stated, yes, you did. You got character. <laughs> you read the Word of God because the, God tells you to read His Word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate in therein day and night. I read my Bible. I didn't understand a word it said, but I read it. You know what? God honors that. It's not a waste of time. It's not in vain. You'll never regret. You'll never say, I wish I had never memorized that verse. Because God's Word does not return void. Christian, a life lived for God, the things of God, prayer, Bible reading, church, soul winning, serving God is never a waste. The Bible says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. This know also in the last days. Perilous times shall come. Christian, we're living in an evil day. Jesus is coming back. And the time will come when you're no longer able to tell other people about Christ. You're no longer, you don't need to read the Word of God because you'll be in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, Redeem the time. If you want to walk honestly, if you want to walk in wisdom, you've got to redeem the time. There's no wiser decision that you can make than to live your life for the Lord. Notice lastly, back in Colossians chapter 4. In verse number 6, the Bible says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. You know what we're to do? Write this third, write this last thing, this last truth down. We're to guard our tongues. Guard your tongue. In these three, these two verses, the Lord mentions our testimony, our time, and our tongue. Guard your tongue. The Bible says a fool utters all of his mind. You know, once you say it, you can't get it back. It's out there. I wish I could get that back. Now my wife is going to remind me I said that the rest of my life. You know. And I regret saying that. Right? You know, there's all kinds of things that we do. I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. I'm just I'm just teasing. But it's our speech. Our speech is directly connected to our testimony, isn't it? What you say, people hear. You have influence. Your speech. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for edification, for edifying. Corrupt communication. Christian, you ought to watch your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Do you want your words to be better? Then you've got to saturate your heart with the word of God. That's why in Colossians chapter four or chapter three, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, Jesus said, what defiles a man is what comes out of his mouth. Not to eat with unwashed hands. Now, wash your hands, right? But Christian, we've got to consider what we say. How we say it. In the book of James, James chapter 3, 
In verse number 7, the Bible says, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. You know what's interesting? That, that no man can tame the tongue? But guess who can tame your tongue? God can tame your tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. We can sing praise to the Lord on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then go out in public and take God's name in vain. Therewith bless we God, therewith curse we men. The Bible goes on to say in verse 10, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, notice what the Bible says there in verse 10, These things ought not so to be. Shouldn't be that way. Our lives, it ought not be that way in the Christian life. Doth the fountain send forth, this, uh, forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either, uh, either a vine figs? Notice, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and fear. Walk honestly. Walk in wisdom. Christians, we've got to guard our tongues. Nevertheless, as we look back in Colossians 4, in verse number 6, we find three things that our speech ought to contain. It says, Let your speech be always with grace. Always with grace. Are your words gracious words? I'm reminded of Jesus. He was full of grace and truth in John chapter 1 and verse 14. You know what? I'm thankful for truth, but truth without grace is sometimes hard to receive. And Jesus said some very sharp things, did he not? But he was full of grace and truth. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they, and they kind of zing you and you don't realize it because they did it in a gracious way? Has that ever happened to you? It's like, did, I don't, did, did he just insult me? <laughs> did, he just tell me I, did they just correct me and tell me I'm a fool? But he did it so nicely. I mean, wow. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Everything he said, even to the Pharisees, as he called them, as he said, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He did it with grace and truth. Yeah, As he told them they were whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. He did it with grace and truth. When he told them they were of their father, the devil. He did it with grace and truth. And the Bible says, let your speech be always with grace. There is no room... There's no reason to be a jerk. Yeah. You understand? There's no reason to be mean. After you yell at somebody, after you berate them, what good has that ever done? You know what has happened? You've lost your influence. That's why it says, let your speech be always with grace. But notice, Seasoned with salt. You should be gracious words, but they should be salty words at the same time. Look back in the book of Matthew in our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter number 5, the Lord speaks and He says, in verse number 13, He says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a candlestick, but on a, 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 under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Christian, you're the salt of the earth. 
I want my words to be salty. Not in the sense of like rude, but beneficial. Seasoned well. Words that have a positive effect on people. Not in a man-centered way, but in a Christ-centered way. You know, too often we, we think of people's self-esteem. We want to build everybody's self-esteem. You know what we're saying? We want to make them more prideful. <laughs> you know? Isn't that interesting? All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust in the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Salt. Are your words helpful? It can be true and said in the wrong way and have no positive effect at all. Do more harm than good. Notice back in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man knowledge grace salt and knowledge what's he talking about here I believe he's echoing what peter wrote turn to first peter as we close tonight first peter chapter 3 in verse number 15 the bible says but sanctify the lord god in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. How you, that you know how you ought to answer every man. What's the greatest answer you can give? The answer of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the gospel answer. Knowledge. You know how how to share the gospel with people. You know when the time is right to pounce on them. You know? They're ready. Here we go. Share the gospel with these people. To seize every opportunity that God gives. Knowledge. You know how to share the gospel in a multitude of settings. The multitude of reasons, the multitude of ways. Christians walk in wisdom. How do we walk in wisdom? Well, we maintain a strong testimony, we redeem the time, and we guard our tongue. May God help us live with great wisdom as we consider the Lord and His work in our lives. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed,